How many of you this morning, you, uh, you've been let down by something. You, you were, you were kind of duped on something and, and you were kind of told these so-called truths about something. And then when you purchased it or got it, uh, it didn't turn out the way uh, that you thought it would. They sold you a, a bill of goods. And, and, and if I were to, if I were to title this sermon, I would title it, I got duped. How many of you have ever gotten duped? You just, you just got duped. You're like, man, I thought I was smarter than that, right? I remember 1984, when I was a teenager, we got to go to the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles, and we did it kind of as a missions trip uh, to witness to people, and it was just a great trip. It was really fun, and just go on the streets and talk to people about Christ, and it was really, really a neat, neat, neat trip. And I can remember we were in Hollywood, and I wanted to buy a t-shirt that said Hollywood on it, and so um, we went to these street vendors that were selling t-shirts, mistake number one. Uh, and, and they were cheap. They were, they were three for five dollars. Mistake number two, right? So I'm like, this is great. I'll buy one for myself. I'll get gifts for people. So I bought, you know, I don't know. I bought like six t-shirts and I remember the first time I washed it, it shrunk up to about this big, right? It just was like this baby shirt and everybody else I gave it to, I was embarrassed and like, you know, you're never going to find this person again. I remember one time, Kathleen and I, we did this. Um, yeah, I don't know, some of you may have, may have done this before. We were, we were newly married and I'll tell you what, anything where we could get a gift card or whatever, we're like, we're into it. So someone said, hey, you got to go through these condo tours, right? And uh, if you go to this, yeah, you guys are like, yeah, I know. I've been there, done that. And they go, they're going to give you a $50 gift certificate to the mall. We're like, whoa, that was like a zillion dollars for us, you know? And we're like, yeah. And they said, not only that, will you get 50 bucks, but they're going to give you T-bone steaks also, eight of them. I'm like, what? T-bone steaks? Honey, we've got to do this. So we went on a Saturday, spent 12 hours at this condo tour. And um, we get to the end of it and we get through it and they gave us our, our gift card and uh, they gave us these, these T-bone steaks. So we're like, man, we're going to invite people over and, and eat these succulent T-bone steaks. Well, we cooked them. It was basically like eating shoe leather. In fact, I think shoe leather would have tasted better, right? And we've, listen, we've all been duped in our life. And, and what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is empty promises. And I think for many of us, we have put um, our hope uh, in things that didn't seem to deliver. And, and maybe you're in your point of your life where you're looking back of your life and you're like, man, I, I, I did not see my life turning out this way. I did not see my, maybe my marriage turning out this way or whatever. And you're just like, you know what? I, I'm just disappointed kind of with life or the hopelessness that comes with making wrong choices. And we, we've all been there. We've all been there. We've put our hope in things that just don't last. And we put our hope in things that we think are going to bring fulfillment. Because really, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is significance in our lives. We're looking for meaning. What is, what is the purpose of my life? That's the question. If you pick, pick the Sunday to come, this was the Sunday. Because we're going to answer the question, really, what's going on in my life? What, what, what is going on in my life? How do I, how do I bring purpose and significance in my life so that I'm, I'm headed on the right track so that the things that happen in my life, even the disappointments that happen in my life, I can make reason of it because I focused my life on the right things. And so, and so all of us have, have gone through disappointments and we've wondered, what's my purpose on earth? What am I doing? And that's why I wanted to tackle this topic of empty promises and, and stripping away these false idols that we've created or that we've followed in our lives, thinking that that is going to give me significance and worth in my life. So I, I want to just throw out this statement right at, right at the beginning. If you, you can follow along, I've got the notes there for you in the bulletin. But, but let me just throw this statement right out, right off the bat. If we don't live our lives and worship to God, then our lives will lack meaning. So let me just say that right off the bat. If, 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 if we don't live our lives in this, in this worship of God, it's gonna, our lives are going to really, they're going to lack meaning. So, so here's the question that we want to dive into today. What is the purpose of our lives? What is the purpose of our lives? And I believe uh, 
the word of God has the answer for us here today. The word of God is going to show us the reason why you were created. Now, I think every single one of us in this place has had to ask this question once or twice in our lives, especially when things don't work out in our lives or, or we followed something that didn't deliver. It's really, what, 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 is, what, is, what is the purpose of my life? And, and I think so many people will look at their lives and when it lacks meaning or significance or, or, or when we measure our lives in comparison to someone else. Have you ever done that comparison game, right? How many of you just, yeah, yeah I just want to go back to my high school reunion because, you know, it's like either you feel a lot better than the other person next to you or the other person that was super successful. And you may see that on Facebook where you have your classmates and they're like super successful. All their kids went to Harvard. They're all doctors, right? And you're like, man, my kid's barely making it through college or, or he couldn't get it or she couldn't get into college or whatever. And we and then you feel like, man, my, my life lacks, lacks meaning. And that's easy for all of us to do to get in that comparison game. Here's, here's the purpose of your life. Are you ready? Say, yeah, I'm ready, pastor. God created you for his glory. God created you for his glory. You are not a mistake today. Your parents may have told you you were the oops baby, right? You're like, why are my siblings like 15 years older than me? Mom, dad, why are my brothers and sisters so much older? Remember some of the said, well, you were kind of a whoop baby, right? A whoops baby, right? Listen, there are no whoops to God. You are not a mistake. You were created by God for his glory. And we're going to unpack this because if you can understand this in your life, it will completely change the perspective of your life. No matter what you're going through, whether good things or, or trials or difficult things, if you can just remember that you were created for God's glory, it will change everything about the perspective of your life. Now, this doesn't mean that everything is going to be hunky-dory in your life. This doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect in your life. This doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly in your life. But if you can just see, you know what? I was created for God's glory. Everything changes. Everything changes. I want to read right off the bat here, Isaiah 43, 7. And this is what, this is what God says in Isaiah 43, 7. It says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for what? My glory. And, and it was I who created them. And so what, what God is reminding Israel, he's saying, listen, remind them. I know they've backslid. I've known they've, 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 they're serving other gods, but, but I want them to be reminded that, that, that they're created for my glory, that I've made them for my glory, and I've created them. And, and that makes all the difference. When you can understand who your creator is, it makes a whole lot of difference in the way that you look at the world. So, so what Isaiah is saying this, he says, we were created to actually display his glory so that others may know him. You were created so that you could actually display the glory of God. God wasn't up in heaven one day going, you know what? I'm just lonely. And, and I just need people to create. That, that, that wasn't the reason he created you because he was alone. Because you see this perfect fellowship within the Trinity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's in perfect fellowship. But what God says is, I want my creation to join in to this perfect fellowship that they might know me. Somebody say amen. That, that God wanted you to join in. Uh, one pastor said it this way. God wanted you to join into the dance. He doesn't want you to be some wallflower sitting on the side, just hoping someone's going to ask you to dance. Been there, done that. It's no fun. God says, I want, want you to join in. I want you to experience my glory and the purpose for why I've created you. Um, many times with my podcast, I'll listen to a lot of atheists and just, just to hear the other perspective of what people are saying. And, and there's Sam Harris and there's many leading philosophers of the atheist movement that, that, that try to give significance and meaning for our lives. And it's interesting when I listen to all these uh, different people try to give a perspective without God in it. When I get done listening to it, you know what I just think? I'm like, wow, if that's what life is all about, that we are just some happenstance, that, that 
that we that we're here by just chance and by this scientific created order that has no meaning and purpose that that actually God created so that we could know him and know our creator. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to know God. I, I, if, 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 if I'm just some, you know, blob turned into Bob, it just doesn't give me a lot of hope for my life. I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I, I mean, there are, these guys are a lot smarter than me, but I'm just wondering that in our knowledge and our pursuit of science and everything else, which is good, and there's so many smart people, I'm wondering if we rely way too much on our own knowledge. And I think we've gotten prideful in knowing that. And I believe when we look at the cosmos and our universe, I think the first thing it should do is humble us that we don't know all that we know. That it should humble us to realize that there has to be a designer behind that that wants to know us. And here's what God does. He comes in flesh through his son, Jesus, to walk amongst us, to show us the way back home. The person of Jesus to me is amazing because until you discredit Jesus, you've got some, you've got a lot of questions that need to be answered in your life. And what God does, he comes into this, He comes through the incarnation, fully man, fully God, to show us the way back home, to deal with our sin issue and what has separated us from God. I love what this scripture says in Psalms 19.1. It says, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. And the skies above proclaim his what? Handiwork. I love that. And when we look at creation and we look at the heavens, it shouts that there is a a maker, a creator. The purpose is not to actually worship the creation, but the one who created it. Except for two things, which I got a picture here. This is the only thing I think was a mistake. We're mosquitoes and snakes. Okay, I just don't know why. What is the purpose? The other, at the end of the summer, I was... I was kind of pulling weeds out of the rocks that are behind our, our house. And there was two snakes that were living there, but I thought they were on the other side. So as I'm pulling out some of the weeds, one of the snakes went right over my hand. I screamed like a five-year-old little girl. My neighbor next door goes, would you wear some pants there over there? Okay. It's just a gardener snake. It's not going to attack you. It's not going to wrap around your neck and suffocate you. Right. I was just like, I, do, I just, you ever get there, you just like, right? You just, you, you want to scream, but you can't. It's just, so I, that's the only thing I, I, but, but we know that God and his beautiful creation, we can see his handiwork in the heavens. And, and this is where man, what, what the apostle Paul does is he, he diagnoses the issue with man. And he says, this is what happened with man. And in our pursuit and our knowledge to understand the cosmos, we, be, we became foolish actually in our own thinking where we began to worship the created things and not the creator who was behind it. And that's the foolishness of, of man's heart. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, 18 through 23. He says this, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteous righteousness actually suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God shouts through his creation that there's a creator, that, that, there's an, that there's an order behind everything, that everything, if you look at like anthropic principles within our world, if our, if our earth was just off a little bit on its axis, everything would be thrown off. In fact, like Jupiter acts like a giant vacuum. So huge meters don't crash into the earth. There's this perfect order that God has created to allow us to live on this privileged planet we call earth. The sun is like perfect in in the orbit and just enough whatever. So we don't die. It's just the atmosphere is perfect so that we can live here. And we're just going to say that was all happenstance. 
Does a watch say to itself, I created myself. And I, and I started myself and I got the hands working and I put everything together. Listen, I don't care. You can throw a watch on the ground and then step on it. And you can give it a trillion years. That watch is not going to recreate itself. Can I get a name then? I'm getting a little hyper. I'm sorry. My orange juice was expired this morning. So I don't know what I'm going to say this morning. Okay. So here's the thing. There has to be a watchmaker that put that watch into motion. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature has been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him or give thanks to him or give praise to God. They didn't acknowledge him. They didn't worship him. We're going we're gonna to dive into that because this is going to help us in our lives when we go through disappointing things. They didn't give thanks to God. But because of the futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they actually exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Snakes. Okay. So what did man do? Through the foolishness of their own hearts, they exchanged the glory of God and what we see in creation and actually began to worship the created things and began to make idols out of them, thinking those things could give them glory or purpose or meaning. And what Paul is saying, no, no, no. Those things display the glory of God. Those things are to turn, it's like a reflection. We are a mirror that reflects the glory back to God. We aren't to worship ourselves or the created things. God says, no, because if it ends with you, you short circuit it. And when we begin to worship the created things, that's when life loses its meaning and life loses its purpose. But when we can understand that we were created for God's glory, everything changes about our lives. So here's the second thing I want you to see. God created you for his glory so that he could display his glory through your life. That's pretty powerful. But here's the second thing I want you to see. God created us to actually be worshipers. There is something innate in every single one of you that is a worshiper. Now you may come, you may came to Sermon and say, Pastor, I'm not a worshiper. I, you know, I came to church today, but I'm not a real worshiper of God. I don't know if I would call myself a worshiper, but you are. You may not be a worshiper of God, but you worship something. And I want to dig into this because here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says um, to the Corinthian church. And he's saying that, that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to what? The glory of God. Whatever you do, you're doing it on the Lord, so your focus is to him. So being a worshiper is, is, is a good thing, but we can tend to worship things that are wrong, and we lose our focus. So what God does is he creates us for his pleasure so that we can actually have a relationship with him. So what God does is he creates us for his glory. He says, I want you to worship the right things. I want you to worship me because when you worship me, everything else will be put in its right context. When I'm first in your life and you worship me and you thank me for everything that I've given you, that possession in your life will not take hold of you. Oh, I'm starting to preach now, people. Okay, now follow me, follow me, follow me. We wonder why money and possessions have such a grip on our heart. It's because we begin to worship them and not God, the one that gave them to us. See, this is our problem. Our problem is we look to our children. We look to our job. We look to our 401 account. We look to all these things to give us significance 
And we take our eyes off the one who has given us these things. And that thing becomes an attachment on our heart that leads me into bondage. So what I do is I end up working like a dog for that thing, for my job, for these things. And my values get misplaced because I stop to recognize the very one who has given me those things. And when you begin to recognize God as the giver of everything and to praise him for everything he's given you, whether you have small or many, you have the right perspective of it. When you begin to recognize that God is the giver of everything, that he's created you for his glory, that whatever you have, you do it unto him. When we recognize that in our life, those things lose their attachment on our heart. And those are the things that give us significant it, significance. It's God who gives us our significance. Now, whether I have much or I have little, it doesn't really matter. Because God is the one that I serve. God is the one that I worship. So whether or not I'm going through a trial or I'm not, I'm not going to base my relationship on God, whether, whether I'm going through a trial or not. Because I know I'm created by God within those circumstances to give glory back to him. So even in the midst of a thing I'm going through, a health issue, whatever, job loss, whatever, whatever I'm going through, if I can sit back and say, you know, God, I know you're in control of my life and I'm going to still give you the glory. Even in this painful situation, you're starting to get it. Because God can still use you in the midst of your pain. Isn't that wonderful? I'll tell you what, when people begin to share with me what they've gone through or the pain that they've gone through and they're still able to praise God through it, my ears are really listening because it's when people share their pain that are things that they go through and the things that are struggling are the things that I can relate to because I know that I go through things and we go through pain and we go through struggles and all of a sudden I can relate to that person. But if somebody's always sharing their success and how great they're and all the, I'm like, I can't relate to that person. But even in our pain, we can still give glory to God. So what he does is, is he wants this relationship with us so that we can love him, we can serve him, we can... We can know what's true and meaningful. Isaiah, later on in 43, 21, he, he says this. The people whom I've formed for myself, that they might declare what? They might declare what? My praise. So what does, what does my praise or thankfulness have to do with anything? Why does God want us to praise him and thank him. See, when you recognize that he is your creator and he's given us everything possible that we might know him and that he's given us his grace through his son, Jesus, that we didn't earn or deserve, that he's forgiven us of our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And now I'm in this right relationship with God. There is something inside of me that all of a sudden clicks on that says, I know why I'm here now. I know the purpose of my life and that's to display the glory of God. That's what I love about Paul and Silas when they're in jail. Remember that story? They're in jail. And, um, and, and what are they doing when they are in jail? They're in jail. They don't know if they're going to lose their life, but they're in jail for preaching the gospel. They're in jail and they don't, there's not a lot of hope for their situation. What are they doing in that jail cell? They're worshiping God. And guess who's listening to that? Those that are around them, God sends an earthquake, the doors fly open. Then the jailer's like, oh my gosh, everybody's leaving. I'm going to die. And they're like, hey, come to Christ. He loves you and, and you can be saved too, right? In the midst of their trial and pain, what are they doing? They're worshiping God because they understood why they were created. So they could accept what they were going through because ultimately they knew that God was in control. So the question is this. If God has created us to be worshipers, the question we need to ask ourselves is what do we worship? Am I, is my life correct, correctly worshiping God or, or am I worshiping something else? See, this is where we can get it wrong. 
Because what we end up doing is look to false or pseudo things to make me feel worthy. And we're looking to these created things to make us feel worthy. And so if God created us to be worshipers, we can easily get it mixed up. So if there's something intrinsically in me that God has created me to be a worshiper, this is where we get it wrong. Because our need to worship is the desire to be fulfilled for our need for significance. And so this is where we can get, this is where we can get worship wrong and we begin to worship things. And this is where our life begins to lack significance because we run to this thing to try to make ourselves feel better. Then we run to this thing to try to make ourselves feel better enough, you know, and then all of a sudden we're just like, my life is lacking meaning. You get through the end of your life. You're looking back and you're like, you go through a midlife crisis and like, what did I do with my life? What is the point of my life? I think a correct understanding of, of worship and a definition of worship will help us here. Now, if we did a word study in the word worship, this is going to help because if you look at the root of, of, of the word worship, the etymology of the word, it literally means to give worth to something. Worth-ship. I'm giving worth to something. Now, I believe this is a good place to start. But when we look into the Bible for the meaning of worship, it goes so much further than just giving worth to something. I like what, what Stacy uh, Gladysmith Smith says here. She said, in the Hebrew, there are a myriad of words used to describe the act of worship beside multiple words for dancing, singing, various other rejoicing and mourning type movements and noises. There are at least 10 other words that are frequently translated worship. These 10 words carry the following connotation. Bowing down, falling down, service, labor, making inquiry, seeking, fear, awe, ministering, supplication. Do you notice anything here? Every single one of these words is very physical and has a very active meaning. The New Testament takes on the same meaning of worship. It's this meaning of action. There's something that I do to recognize that God is my creator. So there's this action when it comes to worship. So this is where we get it wrong. This is how we get it wrong because we begin to put uh, worth in something that is worth less or is not going to deliver. And so if we understand that I was created by God to be a worshiper by God, the problem is we can go off course. We can go off track very easily and begin to worship things that we think are going to give us worth. And so I call it the, if I only had problem, if I only had syndrome. And this is what we end up saying. We end up saying things like, you know, um, you know, if, if, if I only had a better job, I could do more. If I only had more money, I would feel more content. If, if I just had a little more money, I'd feel content. If, if I could only get that person to like me, I would feel so much better about myself. If I only owned this thing, and if we're real honest with ourselves, if I could only own this thing, others would be impressed. If, if I only had a Harley Davidson, oh, did I just say that? I'm sorry. That just slipped out of my mind. Um, you know, I could be cool, right? I could, you know, be like other people that own Harley Davidson's and be part of the motorcycle club. But my wife said she'll kill me first if I got a Harley Davidson. So I can't, I can't get one. I like what C.S. Lewis, great, great writer, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do not want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. See, when we think of idol worship, we, we, we go Old Testament worshiping the golden calf and we think of these idols, statues that people worship. But let me bring it to modern times for you. An idol doesn't necessarily have to be a statue that we worship. An idol can actually be a good thing. I like what Pastor Timothy Keller says here. An idol, idol worship, basically, you can even take a good thing, but when it becomes an idol in your life is when you make it an ultimate thing. 
when, when, when that thing has to be, you have to get that thing in order for it to, to make you feel significant. And I, and I believe Lewis is spot on here because we can sacrifice for something and we put all we have into it only to be disappointed at the end. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, an apologist, I would recommend any book that he writes. Credible, credible man of God. But Ravi Zacharias says this. He said this one time, listen to one of his podcasts, and it just, it just stuck with me what he said here. He said this, he said, the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has just let you down. See, see, what's the problem with our hearts is that we can easily chase after the things that don't deliver. We think, well, this affair at first was so thrilling, but then it, it didn't deliver like I thought. You see, why is this? Because the default of our heart is to chase things that ultimately won't deliver. And so we falsely believe that these things are going to make us feel better. They're going to make us feel more secure. They're going to make us feel more valued. See, that's the problem with our hearts because if God has intrinsically made us to be worshipers of him and, 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 and create us for his glory that we could give praise to him, the problem is our hearts so easily chase after those things that won't deliver. Now, here's the thing. Does God want us to have things? Of course he does. It's not wrong to have things. The problem is when we put our hope in those things and not recognize God as the giver of those things is where we stray. And so, so th- this, is, this is what we're fighting in our culture. We're constantly fighting this in our culture. And that's this performance-based, this I, I have to perform in order to feel good about myself. If, if I don't achieve to this certain level, now should we all try to do our best at our jobs and sports? Whatever? That's right. Do, do your best. Do all you can to do your best. But the problem is when we find our significance in those things, it becomes an empty pit that can never be filled. And so we live in this performance-based society. We want people to think that we have it all together, that we want people to look at our Instagram and our Facebook posts and look like, oh, I've got it together. My kids have it together. My house is together. Right? See, we're trying to have the perfect kids and the perfect marriage and, and, and the perfect house. But let me ask you a question. How's that going? How's that going? When will we all get off the hamster wheel and stop performing. So the question is, how do we get this right? How do we get this right? So we don't, we don't, we don't find our lives being attracted to this performance-based thing to try to make myself feel significant. How do we get to that point to where we focus on God and focus on what Christ did for us so that in my life I can say, you know what, it doesn't matter what I'm going through I'm able to know why I was created. And I I feel very secure in that because I know that Christ loves me no matter what, that my security is in him, whether or not I have the best job or the menial job, or my kids make all the right decisions or they don't make all the right decisions or my house is in perfect order. It's not in perfect order. I mean, those things don't make who I am. Christ makes who I am. So how do we get it right? Well, let me let me just finish with this with just a scripture here, and then we're gonna we're gonna take communion um, today. Um, Jesus goes to uh, he goes to his friend's house, the house of of Mary and, and Martha, and um, Jesus is there and he's he's teaching. And and some of you may know the story where uh, Mary's listening; she's at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to what's coming out of his mouth, and 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 Martha is busy preparing the meal. So she's just trying to get the meal together. She's not getting any help from her sister, and Martha's getting ticked. She's like, I'm, I'm doing all the work here, but Mary, what are you doing? You're just sitting there, right? So let me, let me read the story, because what Jesus does here, he gives us a correct perspective of what worship should be. And then we're going to end it. I'm, I'm hoping this all makes sense at the end. So here's what, here's recorded for us in Luke chapter 10. 
So he says, as Jesus and the disciples continued their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. And there, and there were women named, uh, named Martha and welcomed into their home and a sister Mary. And what did she do? She sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Okay. But Martha was what? She was distracted. Let's all say distracted. How many of you have been distracted in your life? How many of you during maybe if <laughs> your prayer time or something, you've got kids and you only can pray one minute because you've been distracted by your kids asking you questions. And finally you said, will you leave me alone? I'm trying to pray. Okay. Just leave me alone. By the way, Jesus loves you. Okay. So we're, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> so she's distracted by what? The big dinner she was preparing, preparing this big dinner. And so she came to Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Rot row. Doesn't it seem unfair that I'm doing all this and my sister's doing nothing? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do what? All the work. Turn into a martyr. Right here we got the martyr's complex. Tell her. To come and help me, Jesus. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus uses this as a moment to reveal something in Martha's heart that's in every single one of our hearts. Because we can easily be distracted too from what the most important thing is. So what does Jesus do here? But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, I like that. He didn't say, Martha, get over yourself, would you? Okay. He said, my dear Martha. So this, these, are, these are nice words. These are intimate words. These, these, aren't, these aren't mean words. He says, listen, Martha, 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 you are so worried and upset over all these details. You're going nutso. Over all these details, says, there is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it, will be not, and it won't be taken away from her. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't, he doesn't use it to condemn Martha, because obviously he has kind words to her. But what Jesus does is he uses this occasion to teach Martha about her heart. It's not that Martha wasn't doing what was wrong. Um, the meal, how many know the meal had to be prepared? People are hungry. How many know meals have to be prepared? House has to be cleaned, right? Things got to get done. Can I get an amen, right? Things got to get done. But she got distracted by all the preparations. And what she did was she missed the bigger picture at that moment. Let me, let me pause here for just a second. Because I think what can happen sometimes in our lives, because we are people that like to go to A to B. I, I'm like, you're on a mission, right? Some of you are on a mission. You go into the grocery store and you are on a mission. You are like A to B, got to get this, got my list, blah, 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 blah. I got 15 minutes to do this. And you will just zip right by me at Wegmans or Tops. You won't even know I'm there sometimes. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Right? And I'm running you down. Hey, how you guys, you know? I, I do the same thing sometimes where I'm just, I'm distracted. I'm distracted. Now, does the grocery shopping need to get done? Yes. What is Jesus saying here? Don't get so distracted that you forget about an opportunity that I might have laid right out before you. But because you were so distracted, you missed an opportunity for me to use you. Are you kind of catching what's going on here a little bit? See, what happens here is what Jesus wanted to teach Martha. What is the heart of the story? The heart of the story is worship. Whatever you do, whether you're pushing your grocery cart at, Mar at, at I just said Marshall's. Hey, if you're at Marshall's, we're there all the time. In fact, the person at Marshall, you guys are here again. We live here. My wife's going to be buried in front of Marshall, so she'll see me every day. But anyways, um, 
pushing your shopping cart, realizing, God, I can, can I shop for your glory? Some of you women are like, yeah, I can do that. I can shop for God's glory. Um, reminding yourself that whatever you do, we do it for his glory. So we don't become distracted with missing an opportunity that God has for us. So what's at the heart of the story? The heart of the story is worship. See, on the outside, it looks as if Martha, through her serving and preparing the meal, it looks like good intentions, but Martha's true motives came out. By saying, don't you care, Lord? Can't you see what I'm doing here? And so what Jesus is offering here is really rest for our souls. She felt justified by humiliating Mary in front of the other guests. On top of that, she misjudged Mary for actually being lazy. And so what happens to Martha? She was serving everyone, which was a good thing. She was serving everyone, which is not a bad thing. It was a good thing. But what happened here is Martha stopped listening to Jesus and made the serving the main thing, which caused her to become very self-centered. In a matter of a short time, she became critical and self-absorbed. This can happen to us in a moment when our hearts turn from worshiping God and what we're doing to looking at ourselves and saying, woe is me, no one cares. What Doesn't anybody see what I'm doing? Does anybody see what I'm doing around the church? Look at all the stuff I do. All of a sudden, in a heartbeat, our hearts turn self-absorbed and critical because we lost the heart of worship. We lost the heart of doing it for God's glory. Now, let me give you this statement as we wrap it up. Our worship to Jesus is seen through our service. Can I get an amen? Definitely seen through our service. We need to serve. That's, we need to serve others. We need to serve the world. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. We, we understand that's at the heart. We all should serve. But here's the thing I want you to see. We should serve. But if we're serving with a bad attitude or a critical spirit, our focus is not on Jesus, but actually on ourselves. And that service has actually turned into an idol. We begin to worship our serving because it, it actually makes me feel better. It makes me look good. Not really how it makes Jesus look or that I'm just serving him for his glory, but it's how it makes me look. So here's, here's, here's where we need to be careful. Because serving can become my identity by look at all I do. And when we're working hard at something and others aren't noticing what I am doing or they don't join in, what is my reaction? Am I critical? Am I judgmental? Do I say, look at all the work I do around here and no one helps me? At that point, my focus is taken off of Christ and pointed to myself, disguised, wrapped up, in this self-serving, self-righteousness that I'm doing this good thing for God when actually my heart's not in the right place. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach Martha. Martha, it's not, serving's not the wrong thing. Your heart's just in the wrong place. And we're all Martha's. Can, can, we, just, can we all be honest? We've all, can I get an amen? We've all, been, myself included. You get that, you ever get that little pity party? You know, you're just like, man, no one recognized me. I did all this hard work and no one said anything. <laughs> right? I got to go back and say, wait, 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 pardon, pardon, pardon. I was created by God for his glory that in everything I do, I give Jesus praise, not myself. So the Hebrew writer does a great job here in putting this all perspective for us. In Hebrews 13, 15, 16, it says, therefore... Let us offer through myself a continual sacrifice. What does it say there? Just want to see if you guys are still awake this morning. Therefore, let us offer through who? Through Jesus, a continual sacrifice of what? There you go. What is a sacrifice of praise? Hallelujah. A sacrifice of praise, right? Is, is when I'm doing something and I, listen, we may do something knowing we're going to get accolades for it, but can you imagine doing something for the Lord when you know you're not going to get any praise for it? When you just simply do it for him because of what he's done for you. 
See, a sacrifice of praise is just saying, God, this is not for me. This is for you. When you're going through a difficult time in your life and you feel like you're misunderstood or people treat you wrongly, you give up a sacrifice of praise. And just say, you know what? I'm doing it for you. And I, Jesus, I know you're on my side and I know you love me and I know you care for me. So what I love this, he says, therefore, let us offer up to Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my needs. I'm laying down my want to be recognized. I'm laying down my right to be number one. I'm laying down my right to be served. I'm laying down my right to always have to be right and everybody else is wrong. Can I get an amen? Okay. Sacrifice of praise to God. Proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And I like what they tag on here. And they says, yeah, and, and by the way, don't forget to do good and share with others that are in need. <laughs> I love this because it puts it in right perspective. He goes, everything you do, do it through Christ as a sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to him. And then don't forget to do good and to share with those in need because now you're going to do it in the right perspective, with the right focus, with the right heart. These are the sacrifices that do what? That please God. So it's Jesus first, and it's serving second. It's Jesus first. I am serving in Jesus' name. I was created by you to be a worshiper. You created me for your glory. So the question I want to end with as we jump into community is, is, is ask yourself this. Is there anything that I've placed above Christ that have taken a higher priority in my life? Is there anything? Is it, is it my job? Is it my kids' performance and how well they do? Because we can get wrapped up in that with the complete wrong motives. You know, is it, is it money? Whatever the thing might be, is it, is it being recognized for what I do? Whatever that, that thing is that, that maybe that Martha's heart has kind of made its way into my life and that I've misunderstood the reason why I was created. I believe when you understand that God created you for his glory, that everything we do, we do in praise unto him. Your life changes. It humbles you. It gives you a peace in your heart that you don't have to chase these things any longer to feel significant. And let me tell you, over the next couple weeks, we're going to get deeper and deeper into these empty promises. My prayer for you for today and over these next couple weeks as we dig deeper into these sets of sermons, these messages, is that Christ would start setting some of you free from the bondage of performance, from the bondage of having to feel significance from the world's perspective, And that you would find your complete significance and your worth in Christ Jesus. So what Jesus says, he says, just come to me. All you are just beat up, heavy laden, wearisome. Come to me and you will find rest in me for your souls. And I think some of you here today, you need a little rest for your souls. You're a little stressed out from this being on this hamster wheel. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you are on the hamster wheel. I'm going to paraphrase it. And get off the hamster wheel, right? Can I, can I just say, can I just say, it's okay not to be okay. I think we always feel, I think we always feel this way as Christians sometimes. I'll speak to the Christians here that I got to be okay. That, hey, hey, how you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah, right? And, and listen, Sometimes our lives aren't okay. But that doesn't mean you still can't worship and thank God, even in the midst of your difficult time. You can even say to your brother or sister in the Lord and just say, you know, it's not okay. My life's not going that great. I just need you to pray for me. But even in the midst of this, I know that God is for me, that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's where your significance lies, is in 
your identity in Christ Jesus and what he's done for you, and he's not going to let you go. And so that pulls you out of the comparison trap, the if I need more, if I just had more trap, to realize those things will never, ever give you worth. And until you discover why you were created, we're going to keep running after those things to give us worth. And that's where the empty promises lie. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to expose those things so, so that Christ can be revealed in our lives, so that we will continue chasing Jesus. And this is what I would tell you. Chase Jesus. Chase him. Run after him. Find out all you can about him. Read about Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. He's the best. He's perfect. He's our savior. He's God. And he will never let you down. And he will give you a worth and a significance that you will never, ever find in this world because God is our creator. So chase him. So Father God, we just come before you now and as we just prepare to take communion and recognize what Jesus did for for us in the substitution that he paid for us on the cross for our sins, that he bore those for ourselves. We want to thank you and recognize that it's all about Jesus. And I pray right now, right now, God, I pray for every heart in this place that has just maybe lost hope or maybe their confidence has been shattered by people and they just have just don't feel good about themselves. Lord, I pray that they would find their confidence in you, that you gave your life for them, that you could have a relationship with them and show them the meaning and the purpose of their lives, that even in your pain and your suffering, I can use those things for my glory and I will make you a trophy of my grace. I will make you a trophy of what reconciliation is all about and what restoration is all about. That's what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, that he takes broken things and makes them new again. All the bad choices and the sin that's in our lives, you, you heal us of those, you cover them in your blood because you became a sacrifice for us. So Lord, may we make this just a sacred moment today as we prepare our hearts to take communion. And I pray for anyone in this room that has not made a decision for you, Christ, that they can do that right there in their seats, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thank you that you know our hearts and you see us and we can just call upon you and you can make us right in just a moment when we confess you as Lord and Savior. So I pray that for anyone here that has come, that needs you. And they can be free to take communion with the family of God and glorify Jesus for what he's done for us. So we love you, we thank you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name.